Nomadic lifestyle has a certain cachet to it, doesn't it? I suppose it conjures up images of wandering tribes crossing romantic desert vistas. <laughs> you can blame the Arabian Nights for that, or Hollywood. It might make you think of a spiritual journey. It's common to so many religions and cultures. Christ in the wilderness, the Buddha setting off on his journey, Australian Aborigines going walkabout, the idea of setting aside everything we understand about the concept of home to wander the land is, to me, a slightly alien one. I never thought of myself as a wanderer. I was always quite attached to home, to England, taking walks, going to the flicks or the pub, a nice pint of beer on a warm summer's day, or listening to John Arlott on Test Match Special. Normal things, the familiar, the comforting like a pair of old shoes or a favourite cardigan. Then we met the ultimate wanderer, Barbara and I. <laughs> he even asked us if we knew what it was like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension. Of course, I had no idea what he was talking about back then. We met a few wanderers while we ourselves drifted about the universe, but one encounter made me realise that Sometimes, being an outsider means that you lose perspective. That being removed from society makes you think that not only are you outside it, but above it. We had been travelling with the old man for some time by then. Our home had become the ship, arriving in the distant past or on alien planets and treating both alike. Barbara and I just tagged along, really, mainly to keep the old man out of trouble. After all, if anything happened to him, we would never be able to get home. Recently, though, I noticed that we were behaving more like the doctor. We were more inclined to get embroiled in events outside the ship. As the doctor had told us, our destiny seemed to be in the stars. This time, the stars had called the TARDIS back to Earth once more. We found ourselves in a dense, coniferous wood, the ship standing at a slight angle in a muddy clearing. It was bitterly cold, and a waxing moon was trying to make its presence felt low on the horizon. I was grateful that, for once, we didn't seem to be in immediate danger. I looked up and saw the familiar constellations of the plough and Orion. Now I knew where we were. I wondered if we were truly home. That perhaps we had found our way back to Earth in the 1960s. Then, with no warning, the air filled with an unnerving whine. 
As I surveyed the heavens, a bright streak appeared, a line of fire across the starlit canopy of the sky. Barbara gasped. What is it? Susan cocked her head to one side in that unearthly way she has. I don't think it's a meteor. Listen, it sounds like it has an engine. The doctor placed a hand on his granddaughter's shoulder. Very perceptive, my dear, he said. Even lit from behind, I could see the twinkle in his eye as he stared up at the object entering the atmosphere. I think we had better take a look. Hmm? We followed the shooting star and emerged from the tree line to find that we were perched on a gently sloping hillside overlooking the most serpentine river I had ever seen. Aside from the winding waterway, the countryside was mostly made up of pine forest. The meteor angled down and disappeared into yet more trees, some 30 miles away. There was no light or sound of explosion, so Susan was right. A controlled landing rather than a crash. We returned to the ship to fetch warmer clothing and found some lights flashing on the console. The doctor examined them while the girls rustled up some coats. Well, I asked. Oh, nothing serious, my boy, the doctor replied hastily. Nevertheless, he produced an old leather-bound notebook and wrote down whatever it was the ship was trying to tell him. I wasn't fooled. He had no more idea of what the readings meant than I did. Barbara and Susan reappeared with thick fur coats. The doctor refused the one offered to him and simply thrust the notebook into one of his frock coat pockets. We returned to the edge of the wood and surveyed the landscape once more. This time, with the help of the doctor's folding binoculars, we identified a track that traversed the landscape in the distance. Several hours later, a weak and ineffectual sun had risen and we finally reached the roadway, which proved to be a busy trade route. We were passed by two carriages before a cart stopped to offer us assistance. It was here we discovered that it was not the 1960s. A brief exchange with the two men who were driving the cart informed us that this was Russia, an area of Siberia, to be exact. The men were poorly dressed and had weather-beaten faces. They were friendly enough, though, and agreed to give us a lift to the next village, a small place called Zarechny. We learned that carters took various merchandise, such as logs or grain, up and down the route between the towns of Tobolsk and Tayumen. Nicholas II was Tsar of Imperial Russia, and despite the near intolerable cold, it was springtime. Barbara quickly estimated that it was probably around the turn of the century, maybe a bit later. It seemed so tantalizingly close to be only 60 years away from our own time. She was philosophical, though. Upbeat, even. As if a near miss was a good thing. The doctor seemed not to care. We must concentrate on finding that object. If this is the turn of the century, then it must be alien. The interference of being alien to this era could bring about cataclysmic damage to the timeline. But, Grandfather... We are alien to this era, Susan pointed out. You are with me, the old man replied and thrust out his chin. 
When we came to the town, it was clear that this was not a wealthy area. The houses were little more than log cabins, huts in some instances. A clutch of barns and several storehouses were set slightly apart from the houses, and two or three people moved up the tracks between them, carrying loads or pushing small handcarts. We said goodbye to the carters and started walking down what passed for the main street. A group of women emerged from one of the little houses, and the doctor stepped forward. Good morning! May I ask if any of you have seen anything uh, untoward recently? Have you perhaps heard of strange goings-on anywhere nearby? The women regarded him with dark, mistrustful eyes, and then one woman, younger than the others, stepped forward. You are talking about the fire in the sky, she said. The other women muttered their disapproval and melted away. I nodded. That's right. Do you know where it landed? You need Mikhail Krupin. He and his sons work the forest east of here. That's where it looks like it came down to me. How can we find Mr. Krupin? The woman looked at me and seemed about to speak when a shadow fell across her face. Her eyes widened at something over our shoulders and she moved away, pulling a shawl over her head. We turned to see the imposing figure of a man standing just behind us. He was in his early thirties and dressed in dark, somewhat grubby robes. He carried a staff in one hand, and his robes were drawn in at the waist by a piece of rope. He had an unkempt beard of almost black hair and piercing blue eyes. There is a great deal of superstition here, especially when it comes to strange lights in the sky. He spoke matter-of-factly. He seemed neither friendly nor hostile, merely neutral. The doctor was peering at the man as if he were an amoeba under a microscope. There was a bit of an awkward silence, and then I remembered my manners. I, I am Ian. This is Barbara, Susan, and her grandfather, the doctor. The silence continued. The doctor stepped forward. And who are you, sir? I am a man, a brother to you and devoted to God. A priest? Not all who are devoted to God are priests. No, of course not. I apologize. I am merely a Strami, a pilgrim. Are you also pilgrims? The doctor said that we were travelers. I am Grigori. I am known here. We were about to bid farewell to Grigori when a man dressed in a thick coat and hat rushed up to our group. He looked from our newfound friend to the doctor and back again. Please, you are the starists? Grigori nodded once. You must help. My sons, loggers, they have been taken ill. They came home very early this morning and collapsed. Now they cannot be roused. Take me to them. I suddenly realized who this man might be. What's your name? I am Mikhail. Mikhail Krupin. The doctor interrupted. If it is a medical issue, I may be of help. I would be glad of any assistance. So the four of us set off, following the bearded holy man and the lumberjack. The doctor looked troubled and beckoned us closer so he could whisper, Astarex is an elder of the church. Someone such a small community would look upon as a healer. Isn't he a bit young to be an elder? asked Barbara. Susan giggled. 
You shouldn't judge by outward appearances. The doctor ignored his granddaughter's frivolity. Nonetheless, I do not like it. We must ascertain whether this illness is anything to do with the alien object. See if we can find it and then leave once more. It seems that everything in Siberia is on a grand scale, and we had a long walk ahead of us into the forest. We found ourselves at the edge of the river Tura, where a small cabin nestled beside a stockpile of rough-cut tree trunks. Beyond that was a boathouse, with a faint light coming from within. Mikhail beckoned us towards the cabin. Inside, we could see that there were three men lying on the floor, covered in what passed for bedding, thin blankets and sacks, two lanterns hung from the ceiling casting long, smoky shadows. Mikhail tended to the stricken loggers, mopping at their brows with rags dipped in a scented mixture of some sort. Grigori bent to examine the men. When he looked up, his eyes were even more startling than normal. This is not God's work. As he spoke, the doctor stumbled forward and had to be supported by Susan and Barbara. Grandfather, are you all right? I could see now that the doctor was sweating quite profusely and his breathing was a little ragged. Oh, don't fuss, child. But it was clear that the old man was not at all well. It reminded me of the time he was affected by radiation sickness on Scarrow. It, it's affecting me. Susan, Susan. The doctor whispered something to his granddaughter and collapsed to the floor. I quickly went over, but he was unconscious. Susan turned to Barbara, who held her. We must return to the village for medicine. I don't know a lot about medicine, but if you think I can help... We should not waste any time. Your friend and the loggers are very sick. We must seek help from the village and quickly. So, we left Barbara and Susan tending to the doctor and went out into the bitter cold. As we walked, I asked Grigori about his pilgrimage, why he did it. I am not the man I once was. I was aimless. Although I lived in one place, I was adrift. It is hard to find salvation in secular life. I am searching for enlightenment, for truth, for God's truth. You said you weren't a priest and... Yet, that man called you Starrett. As I told you, I am known here. I have abilities that others do not. Healing abilities? You are not a believer. I am a man of science. Well, that does not mean you cannot be a man of faith, also. I have seen many things, learned many truths. I know that God has set a path before me. I must walk it and rejoice in doing so. I see. I doubt you do. I was a raucous youth. Carousing was not something I was unfamiliar with, nor crime. We are all tested, Ian. Before, I failed. Now, I must find my allocated role in this world. You are a dedicated man, aren't you? I wish to help people. I wish to make a difference. Some talk only to God. I like to talk to the serpent, too, for I know he is always there, trying to divert us from the path. I have found an inner strength that most do not share. God 
has set me aside. My sister died in the river not far from here. Later, my brother also drowned. He fell into a pond. I tried to save him. I could not. I, too, may also have died, but Dimitri and I were drawn from the water. Only I survived. That's terrible. I'm sorry. I could not save them. All death seems senseless. I was not meant to save them. There is a divine pattern to all things. I named my children after them, Maria and Dimitri. But I have no need of surrogates. I still live. I am just waiting for the final sign, the commandment that will tell me what I must do. It will come. Your faith is admirable. Sometimes I simply know something is or will be. Some say I am possessed of the sight. You mean visions of the future? Not visions. More an ingrained certainty. It is not something I can control. I could not tell you that one thing may happen and not another. Imagine the power if you could do that. Sometimes knowing the future doesn't allow us any greater perspective. What do you mean? Oh, ignore me. It's late. I'm tired. Yes. And we have much to do. I must admit, I found Grigori's conversation unsettling. Despite his claims to special powers, he really didn't seem mad. Although I'm sure many would have labelled him as such. It was just driven. Perhaps he'd been wandering too long. By now it was night. We knocked on two or three doors, and Grigori was always ushered in as an esteemed guest. Being 1900 Siberia, I wasn't surprised when their first aid kit didn't turn out to be that well stocked. Instead, Grigori started talking to an old woman, the village grandmother, about herbal remedies. She wanted to go with us to the logger's cabin, but Grigori deterred her. While we waited for her to prepare a parcel of plant-based medicines, a young man burst in, clearly agitated. Where is the starlet? he asked. I am here. Be calm and tell me what troubles you. The man fell to his knees, and Grigori bent low as if listening to a confession. The young man gabbled his story, accompanying it with expansive arm-waving. <laughs> a shooting star, my brother. God's hand moving among the heavens. Nothing more, nothing to fear. Go, be at peace. He saw the light in the sky? Not long ago. We saw the light last night. My understanding is that shooting stars can appear in groups. Normal meteors might be seen in showers, but I knew that these were no normal meteors. The old woman returned with a little package and gave it to Grigori. I accepted a lantern from another of the villagers and we left, making our way back down the muddy track towards the forest and the river in silence. Suddenly, a horse appeared. Its rider was having difficulty controlling the animal. Grigori rushed forward and grabbed the reins, and I moved in to help him calm it. What happened? The man took some time to answer. He seemed so unnerved. I... It was... Vision... A ghost! I don't know! Where? 
The man looked at us both as if he'd only just seen us for the first time. In a forest, I wouldn't go there if I were you, he said, and kicked at the horse's flanks. When we reached the logger's house, we found the door ajar and the lamps extinguished. The house was in total darkness. Only my lantern cast any light into the gloom, revealing each new shock, one at a time. It looked like the whole place had been ransacked. The bedding was strewn across the floor, although the loggers still lay there, oblivious to the mayhem that had taken place around them. Michael seemed to have vanished as well. What has happened here? It looks like a madman has been on the rampage. Can you see Barbara or Susan? Give me the light. No, they must have fled. Barbara! Susan! Outside! The boat house! Doctor? The doctor was lying very still on the floor of the boathouse. When I put my hand to his forehead, it felt cold and slick, like a dead fish. Beside him was a device of clearly alien origin about the size of a small armchair. It was gunmetal grey with a number of antennae and minute communications dishes protruding from its surface like mushrooms. A small inspection hatch hung open at the front, I assumed opened by the doctor. What is this machine? I don't know. Doctor? Can you hear me? It's Ian. You're safe. What happened? The doctor's eyes fluttered open, and small LEDs on the device's hull reflected in his pale eyes. His lips parted slowly. Chronon particles. Poisonous. Susan touched it. Infected now. Too young to combat the toxins. She ran away. I sent Barbara. With what seemed an immense effort, he fished the leather notebook from his pocket and gave it to me with a shaking hand. It was clear the doctor was struggling to remain conscious, but he quickly told me that the device was giving off particles that were poisonous to time travellers, and its effects became very much worse if you touched it. Touching the device caused some form of mental collapse in normal humans too, which explained what had happened to the loggers. He thought this was unconnected to the contaminated time particles. The poison can be flushed by entering the time vortex, he said. All this time, Grigori stood watching us, his face adorned with an unfathomable expression. So, we can just leave then? I asked the doctor. He managed to shake his head just once. No, the problem still remains. What problem? These words make no sense to me. It didn't make much more sense to me. And when I asked what problem the doctor was referring to, his eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed to the floor once more, passed out. This time, there was no rousing him. I picked up the notebook and leafed through its pages. But what was I to do?
Who's there? Show yourself. It's Barbara. I did not see her until she was almost next to me. She came stumbling from the tree line and fell into my arms. What's the matter? I asked. Oh, Ian. She sobbed and then steeled herself in that wonderful way Barbara could. Susan. It was Susan. She went berserk. She ran off. It's all right. Just tell me what happened, I said, putting my arms around her and leading her into the boathouse. Barbara pointed to the alien machine. Susan found that thing. As soon as she touched it, she became glued to it by some force. I managed to rouse the doctor, and he had a look at the device. But Susan, she was panicking, distraught. I tried to calm her while the doctor opened that little hatch. I found an axe and managed to lever Susan away from the machine. It was like prizing the lid off a tin of cocoa with a knife. Where did she go? I asked. Barbara sobbed once more. She was like an animal, as if she'd lost all reason. Susan had turned the cabin upside down in a rage and then run off into the night. I tried to keep up with her, Ian. Really, I did. But she was too fast. She got so far ahead of me that I couldn't. And then... And then there were four figures. At first, I thought they were ghosts or something, but they made this horrible noise as they moved. They were aliens, Ian. The aliens took Susan. There was nothing I could do. She was clearly exhausted. So Grigori and I half carried her across the yard to the cabin and made her comfortable there before returning to the boathouse. She saw the vision too, like the rider. It's not a vision, Grigori. You sound so certain. The fire in the sky was not a falling star. I think this machine is what fell to earth first. But there was a second light in the sky. Yes, this machine is alien. It comes from the stars. And there are glowing figures wandering about in the woods. I think that whoever built this thing wants it back and has come to collect it. Grigori and I went back to the cabin and relit the fallen lanterns. We tended to Barbara and helped make the three loggers comfortable. Grigori administered what he could of the old woman's remedies, and then we had a council of war. The doctor was unconscious in the boathouse. Susan had been abducted, and the alien device was poisonous to time travellers. I assumed that sooner or later Barbara and I would be affected by it too. Perhaps the more you had travelled in the time vortex, the greater its effect. Too much wandering had made Grigori eccentric at best. And now it meant that Barbara and I were going to go completely mad like Susan. I was already feeling a little queasy. Then we found out how the device had come to be in the boathouse. Michael returned at dawn. He'd been to fetch fish and bread. He explained that the loggers had found the device. They had brought it back and put it in the boathouse. It was obvious to me that the doctor was right, and that only those that had actually touched it had fallen ill. Now we needed to find Susan and deal with the alien machine. Barbara must continue to search for the young girl. No. 
She can barely walk. I won't let her. Before I could continue my chivalrous diatribe, Barbara herself silenced me. She insisted that Grigori was right. It was the logical division of labour, and Mikhail could help her. I was the scientist. I should read the doctor's notes. So after a small breakfast of bread and fish, Barbara and Mikhail left to look for Susan. Mikhail's sons seemed to be sleeping peacefully, and I went back to the boathouse and applied myself to the alien device and the doctor's notebook. The doctor didn't know where the machine came from, but its purpose was clear. It was there to monitor the planet, but it had been malfunctioning. It was an intelligence-gathering device, like a spy sent behind enemy lines. There was a diagram of the machine's inner workings with one section labelled as the power source. Beside this, the doctor had scribbled a note that read, Defective, perhaps damaged in flight or landing. It was the next page that held a true revelation. After another diagram of the machine's control panel, the doctor had written, Due to chronon particle interaction, the machine is detecting and recording Earth's future. This was astonishing. I could not keep it to myself. I called for Gagori to join me and I told him everything. This machine can see the future. That's what the doctor says. The actual future. Not a feeling or a vision. This is too incredible. I cannot believe that such a device could exist. You are making a fool of me. No, I would never do that. Listen, not so long ago, I would have reacted as you are doing. I thought the idea of seeing the future or the past absurd. I thought the mechanism for doing so was an illusion. What are you telling me, Ian? That you have seen the future? The Doctor... He has a ship. A ship that can move anywhere in space and time. I travel with him. We all do. Barbara and Susan and I. But... But that is... Ridiculous! I... I know, isn't it? But it's true! I have seen the future and the past. Other worlds, other planets. I tell you I have some abilities that others do not, and you scoff, and yet you stand there and tell me this? And yet, there is truth in your face. Not just predicting the future, actually seeing it? I was exactly like you. I knew, knew, that such things were impossible. And then I experienced them. This machine must be God's work to accomplish such things. It's alien, Grigori. Foreign? From another world, beyond the Earth. It's not God's realm beyond the Earth. And it sees the future. The future as it truly will be. This is... Amazing. Such an opportunity. Opportunity? This is the sign, Ian. We can't share its knowledge, Grigori. It's not working properly. I can discover what role he has for me. At last. The machine is dangerous. Read on. The machine is faulty. It's not meant to do this, but because it's damaged, it's gathering information from the future at... 
approximately 1,000 years per day. The volume of the information the machine is assembling means it will ultimately vent all the data it has gathered as a mental projection around the planet. What does that mean? Every human on Earth will see it. Of course. That would be catastrophic. If everyone knew exactly what was to happen to them, what would humanity strive for? What would be the point of doing anything? If, as the doctor had asserted in Mexico, history could not be rewritten, did that include the future? Was the future also history? Why did the man fall ill? What? The doctor says it was some form of mental collapse. Why has this machine not vented already? I don't know. The doctor doesn't say. What if the collapse of the mind is caused by the information from the machine and the loggers merely touched the machine while they carried it? What are you getting at? They did not touch the control panel. They only touched its heart. Yes. I think I see. See what? My destiny, Ian. Here. Now. No. It's too much information. You'll die. I am not afraid. I know what I must do. You can't... You have to understand. It is the only way. Corey. I... I... I can... can see. Alexander. Kaiser Wilhelm. Bolsheviks, a great war, revolution, armistice, Stalin, Nazis, Hitler, a second world war, television, computers, space flight, Gagarin, Berlin Wall, Cuban missiles, a tenth planet, aliens, invasions, lunar bases, men on Mars, the Doctor! Gregory fell to the floor. He was breathing erratically, and his eyes were flicking under his eyelids, as if in an extreme state of REM sleep. It was obviously too much for him, as the doctor had predicted. I made him as comfortable as possible, and then I heard a groaning sound coming from nearby. Imagine my surprise and delight when I saw it was the doctor himself. He was waking up. I had seldom been more relieved to see the old man. He was pretty groggy at first, but he soon became his haughty old self, demanding that I bring him his notebook. When I fetched it for him, the doctor flicked through the pages at superhuman speed. I wonder why it isn't working anymore, hmm? I hadn't told him about Grigori. When I did, the doctor was livid. 
How could you let him do such a thing? Are you out of your mind, Chesterton? The knowledge, my boy, to have intimate understanding of the future, no one should be privy to that. It occurred to me later that when the doctor said no one, he meant apart from himself. Of course, the humanitarian in him took over, and the doctor was soon up and about, examining Grigori and the alien machine, and going back to the cabin to check on the loggers. Mikhail's sons were no longer sleeping. They had died. The doctor and I pulled blankets over their now peaceful faces. Their minds must have become overwhelmed by the data burst they received, he said gravely. We went back to the boathouse and the doctor turned his attention once more to Grigori. He is as well as can be expected, given the circumstances. The machine, on the other hand, was a different matter. The doctor tinkered with it, gingerly at first. Well, it seems to have entered some form of hibernation state. It is no longer collecting intelligence on future events, which probably explains why I feel significantly better. Let us hope the same is true of Susan, and that this aids Miss Wright's efforts in finding her. I suggested that her efforts would be even more aided if we helped. An excellent idea! I am sure we can sort out this misunderstanding, retrieve Susan and go back to the ship. He gave a little chortle, as if he had fixed everything merely by stating it. Then we heard the noise. Hurriedly, the doctor started poking around in the machine's inner workings. Then he looked up at me, his face a mask of concern. It is communicating. A homing signal. Ah, and not just that. Whoever owns this device is trying to locate it. With a pen torch in one hand and what looked like a lock-picking tool in the other, the doctor removed the tracking element of the machine and gave it to me. Now... They won't be able to home in on us, but we shall be able to home in on them. He told me that I had to take the device and track down the aliens. I was at a loss to understand why and said as much. Because, young man, I need time to think of a way of defeating them. And they have Susan as a prisoner. Kindly go and find her. There's a good fellow. Before I could answer... Ian, it worked. I did it. Are you all right? You could have been killed. I could have been, but I wasn't. <laughs> I saw so much, Ian. So much. You shouldn't have done that. The doctor is not very happy about what you did, and neither am I. Yes, the doctor... I saw him also. In the future? Of course. You too. What you said is the truth. I know that now. I know so many things now. The doctor came over and glared at Grigori. Amazingly, the Russian held the doctor's gaze, matched it even. He seemed to blaze with confidence. But first we must rescue your friend. I owe you that at least. 
Indeed, you will not be able to rescue her without me. Help me up. But the knowledge, it, it should have caused your mind to... to burn? Perhaps it will. I thought you saw the future. I did, but not my own. That was clouded to me. I was afforded the merest of glimpses. No, I, I cannot make it come to me. Not all of it. I see myself involved in the very highest levels of society, though. In St. Petersburg. What have you got there? The component the doctor had given me was about the size of an egg box. It had a small speaker built into it and some form of sliding control that acted as a tuner. The doctor addressed Grigori. You are a very fortunate young man. Tackling alien machinery is not to be undertaken lightly. You really should be dead. And you may very well end up in that state unless I do something to help. You are an opportunist thief who has stolen knowledge he has no right to. Before Grigori could answer, and I could see he was building up to quite a response, I intervened. We need to find Susan and Barbara as quickly as possible. They could be in very great danger. You're right, of course, the doctor said, still glaring at the Russian. The homing device I have taken from the machine will help you. It works in a similar way to a metal detector. The closer the component is to the source of its command signal, the clearer and louder the sound should become. Now, you should go. Both of you. I will discern a way to deal with both our alien interlopers and this Russian ne'er-do-well. He turned his back on Grigori and started tinkering with the device. I took the Russian by the arm and guided him away from the boathouse once more. I think we should head north. Think or no? I know. I know what is to come for this world, Ian. For you also, I could tell you. Ah, but what you don't know is that a lot of what you think of as the future, I class as the past. Of course I know that. You met the Doctor in 1963, a junkyard. You found his police box. You saw that? I have seen everything, Ian. All the important events of the next 1,000 years. More! I saw the Earth invaded. I saw you help defend it from strange beings in the future. You, the Doctor, Barbara, Susan, embroiled in history. You shouldn't tell me anything more. Why not? Aren't you curious? Don't you want to know what your role is to be? No one should know his personal future. But you of all people should understand. The gift I have been given. It is for the benefit of all mankind. In the right hands. I can see the revolution. World wars. I could prevent them. I could help the Tsar. I could advise the world's kings and emperors. I could be their confidant. I would be their superior. Stop it. You are afraid of this knowledge. Why? It can only be a blessing. Ah, of course. You have not been chosen. Neither have you. Don't you see? If you know everything that is to happen, what happens to your free will? It was my free will to do what I did, to immerse myself in this knowledge. You are a limited man, Ian. With this knowledge, I can be closer to God than any man in history. If a prediction is no longer a guess but a certainty, 
Doesn't that prediction become a threat rather than a promise? Nonsense. What about Hitler, the Blitz, or the Holocaust? I could prevent the Holocaust, Ian. Or would you prefer that remain in place? Some things are horrific, I agree. In principle, I agree. I've often wondered what I might do given the chance. But but if you avert the future you have seen, what does that mean for the future itself? The Doctor has shown us the danger of meddling in history. The consequences pale away to nothing. I know the future, Ian. And I, Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin, can mould it as I see fit. Grigory? You're Rasputin? So my name does live in history. I knew it would. Over that rise. I had no time to deal with Grigory's revelation. I could scarcely process it as it was. The Mad Monk. Well, he had certainly lived up to that reputation. But I had to find Barbara, Susan and Mikhail. We ran over the crest of the hill and I froze. In front of me was a small spacecraft. By all that is holy. Quiet. It was a muscular ship, squat, almost like a bullfrog. I could see an unoccupied cockpit through its windshield. The scream had come from the far side, and I flattened myself against its hull and silenced the homing device. Then I edged forward, slowly. Grigori followed my lead. At the back of the ship were three figures. Like their vessel, the aliens were bulky, and although they were humanoid, walking upright, they had two sets of arms. One that ended in finger-like appendages, and one that had thick pincers. They were glowing, as if they'd been dipped in phosphorus, and had what looked like a tail that protruded from the back of their necks and over their heads, ending in an unpleasant-looking sting. One of these creatures had its pincer arm around Mikhail's neck. I had no idea what they were. But Grigori was not so ill-informed. Dahensa. What? That is their species. The Dahensa are aliens. I thought you were familiar with the idea. I am? But how do you know? I saw them. They were in the future. This will not be their only attempt at invasion. You will tell us what you know of our ranger device. We can detect you have been near it. Mikhail pleaded his innocence, but the scorpion alien didn't even hesitate. Kill him! With one movement, the Dahensa killed the Russian. I felt my stomach turn over. We've got to help Susan! I cannot. Sorry. I cannot. Where do you... I couldn't believe that the mad Rasputin of legend, supposedly quite handy with his fists, would just abandon me. However, Grigori had given me an idea of how to approach the Dahensa. I strode out from behind the shuttle, and the three aliens turned to face me. It was then that I saw they were also carrying chunky weapons in their hands. Their complex yellow eyes were glowing. Restrain this creature! 
What do the Dahensa want of this planet? How do you know our species? You are not only trespassing on this planet, you are murderers. This planet has given us due cause. An act of hostility. Our ranger has been attacked. Damage. Your intelligence gathering device? It's malfunctioning. We haven't damaged it. Then you know its whereabouts. I hesitated. It was a mistake. Bring the young female. From within the shuttle came a fourth Dahensa. It was carrying the unconscious form of Susan. What have you done to her? Where's Barbara? We have been sent to retrieve our ranger. We simply want to know where it is. We will kill the young female unless you tell us its whereabouts. If you kill her, I won't tell you anything. And we will kill you as well. And then you will never know where your ranger is, nor how I know of your race. That is an interesting point. Scan him for anachronous technology. Suddenly, two Dahensa had me by the arms. The ranger's homing device. We tried to activate this so we might find it without bloodshed. So you lied. You did damage it. We wanted to find you. The ranger has been making the people here, humans, sick. Really? That is interesting. Prepare to move out. Restrain the humans in the ship. They are anomalies. We will investigate in more depth once we have recovered the ranger. I was taken into the ship with Susan. We were placed in padded seats. Our arms were restrained by metallic bands attached to the chairs. Susan's head lolled forwards and the retreating Dahensa closed the outer door. As they did so, Susan opened one eye and looked about. She had only been pretending to be unconscious. Then she smiled, a brave smile. Ian, I'm so glad to see you. I was so worried. I thought I could hear what they did to Michal. Yes, there was nothing we could have done. And now we're both trapped in this tin can and the Dahensa are on their way to the boathouse. I quickly told Susan what had been happening with the doctor and with Grigori. She was glad her grandfather was better, but she hadn't seen Barbara. Mikhail had been alone when he arrived. I wondered what on earth had happened to her. Perhaps she was still out looking. Perhaps she was outside. Perhaps she would... Barbara? Guess again. You ran away. You cannot see the future. I can. I saw that you would be locked up in here. So I knew I should not come with you. Very clever. I am glad you think so. Susan leapt to her feet. I must warn Grandfather. She ran off without even waiting to see if we would follow. It looked as if they were following our trail back to the logger's cabin. And Susan has done the same. Will you help us, Gregory? I will. Good. The Doctor is no stranger to aliens. That's true. Aliens. So many aliens. I have seen them. And the creatures who sleep beneath our feet. <laughs> so many, many aliens. What is it about this planet that draws them like the sheen on a horse attracts flies? When you see the history of this planet, the Doctor is woven through the tapestry of time. 
keeping it safe against all manner of enemy, others of his kind, denizens of hell and other planes, soldiers from distant worlds and homespun foes, plastic people, men of metal, creatures of carbon, silicon and calcium, Egyptian gods, werewolves, ghosts and vampires, so many nonsensical things with unpronounceable names like scrambled Roman numerals. If they are ungodly as I suspect, then the Doctor must truly be a Staritz. I'm sure he'd agree with you. Come on. We ran back to the logger's cabin. Susan was already there, lurking near the door. She beckoned to us. They're inside. They've got Miss Wright. Again, I had no option but to barge in and see if I could take them by surprise. I only hoped that the doctor had managed to come up with a better plan. What are you doing? Rushing in where angels fear to tread. The aliens did have Barbara. One of the Dianza had its pincer around her throat. You are persistent and resourceful. However, because you removed its homing device, we have not yet located the ranger. As I was informing this old male, we will kill the woman if you do not tell us where it is. This younger male knows we do not bluff. He has seen us kill. The doctor was livid. I am not of a mind to respond to threats. You will hand over the ranger or we will kill your associate now. The doctor stepped forward and glared at them. That device is dangerous. It malfunctioned. I believe it has seen into the future of this planet. And I cannot allow that knowledge to fall into the wrong hands, especially yours. I stared at the doctor in disbelief. Why had he said that? He could have said it was dangerous to them. Not that it was a valuable prize. Even more reason for you to return our probe. No one should know the future. Do you know where the ranger is? No. But I know what he can do in its current state. This man has... The doctor tried to stop me. Chesterton! No! What are you doing? Don't you know? Do not tell them! We are time travellers ourselves. We have seen the future and the past. We have learned that history is not as robust as historians would have us believe. It hangs by a very slender thread, a cobweb, nothing more. The wrong kind of breeze will unsettle it, and the whole thing could come tumbling down. It shouldn't be interfered with on a whim. No one has a right to do that. We know that. History must be protected, and the future must remain a mystery. Not always. Enough. Kill the female. Very well. Put your weapons away. I will show you where the ranger is. Hmm? The doctor led us all out of the cabin and across the semi-frozen ground to the boathouse. I smiled. The ranger was almost literally center stage, and the doctor must have set it up that way. But be warned, it is leaking dangerous chronon particles which have enabled it to see through time. I will see the future of this planet, and then it will be ours to control. The scorpion alien leaned forward and replaced the homing device that he had taken from me. Then he began to tap into the temporal energies, and the three other Dahensa bent their heads as if in prayer. A blazing light shot from the ranger, threw the leader 
spreading out to his soldiers, connecting them in a chain of luminosity. And then... The light vanished. The Dahensa still stood where they were, but they were covered in a black liquid that was dripping from them. Susan screamed. She should have saved her lungs. You could see they were unmoving. The doctor walked over to the nearest alien and dabbed at it with a bony finger. He examined the consistency and then proclaimed, Petroleum! I asked the doctor how that was possible. The ranger must have given off incredible heat and pressure, as well as chronon particles. The resulting endothermic reactions have turned the organic matter into oil. As we watched, the Dahensa melted like candles and became a nasty slick on the ground. The doctor stepped daintily over it and made for the door. Bring that machine. We'll need it for Mr. Rasputin here, he called. Doctor, you knew it was Rasputin? He always knows. <laughs> The doctor said that there was only one way to clear his mind of the future knowledge and save him in the process, and that was to get him into the time vortex. But first we had to deal with the Dahensa ship. Barbara and I managed to persuade the villagers of Sarenshni to help us, and using several horses, we dragged the craft to a ledge overlooking the Tura River. There, Susan and Barbara cut the ropes and we all watched it fall into the river below. It stayed afloat for some minutes before finally succumbing to the water and disappearing beneath the surface. Grigori was by now very sick. The villagers had also arranged for a cart to carry his comatose form back with us along the route to the clearing where we had first arrived. We let the cart get out of sight before we carried Rasputin's body into the TARDIS while the doctor wired the ranger to the consul. Wait! We've been trying to get home ever since we first stumbled in here. How can you hope to return Rasputin to the proper time and place? The doctor dismissed this as twaddle. Barbara tried to protest too, but the doctor, stubborn as ever, just returned to working on the Dahensa ranger. The ship filled with the sound of its engines tearing through reality propelled us back into the vortex once more. I'm going to use the ship's telepathic circuits to remove the knowledge, the doctor explained. I propped Grigori up and Susan attached diodes to his temples. Then it occurred to me. I tapped Susan on the shoulder and pointed at the ranger. Why has the doctor attached it to the console? Susan explained that the doctor could wire it into the TARDIS. Using the alien technology, he thought the ship could be piloted more accurately. You mean, you'll be able to steer the ship? Barbara looked at me and smiled. Does that mean we can go home? I couldn't believe it. I grabbed Barbara. Finally, I said, 
She just looked at me and nodded, a tear forming in her eye. She wiped it away and smiled. Home. Is that right, Doctor? The ranger can get us home to 1963? Maybe, my boy. Maybe. First things first. The TARDIS had landed. Barbara and I carried Gregory's unconscious body outside. But this was not the countryside. We were in a park on a gravel walkway lined with marble statues. The sun shone on our backs as we propped him against a tree. The doctor looked at the sleeping man. Leave him. The ranger should have removed all his memories of these events and of the future. He may recall certain things, but they will appear to him as if in a dream. Barbara looked around her. Where are we? It's certainly not Siberia. This will do very well. Yes, very well. It is the summer garden in St. Petersburg. Rasputin was due to come here in any case. I just nodded and took one last look at Grigory Rasputin asleep under a tree. He looked at peace, although I knew that the most tumultuous period of his life lay ahead. Most people looked at him with terror and with fear, but I just saw a troubled man who had, albeit with selfish reasons, helped save the world. Back in the TARDIS, we waited for the doctor to make the adjustments to the ranger. The device represented a real chance to get home. Just now it had missed its target by several hundred miles, but the prospect of going home was just too exciting, even if we did end up in France or Spain. I thought what we might do when we got home. For a moment, I imagined the bustle of London, all the people, the sights, the sounds, returning to teaching. Oh, there was a thought. I looked at Bart. But something was wrong. As the doctor set the TARDIS in motion, the ranger started shaking violently and its internal lights flashed intermittently before going out. A small plume of smoke rose into the control room like a miniature funeral pyre, and the ship juddered to a halt. Susan looked at us across the room. She looked downcast. I didn't need to ask what had happened. I'm so sorry, Barbara. Ian, Susan said, the doctor spoke without looking up. The return journey must have burnt out the ranger. It's totally useless. I felt numb. Our triumphant return had been ripped from our grasp. Barbara said nothing, but simply walked from the control room. I couldn't speak either. It looked like the stars had destined us to wander for a while longer. I was angry and sad for several days afterwards, but Barbara brought me round. She was always so wonderfully rational, and then I realised that, of course, although we may have been wanderers, Barbara and I were never alone. Like the doctor had Susan, I had companionship from someone who understood me and cared for me, and who I understood and cared for too. And that wasn't so bad. It kept us sane. It was vital. In fact, it was lovely. <laughs>